The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey everyone, it's Brooke. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. This is part one of a two-parter. When you finish this episode, part two is already in your feed. We want to start by thanking our new patrons, Patricia Knowles, Dale Walker, Hannah Klein, and Angie Dombrowski. Patrons get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, where you can chat with us about the show or whatever else is on your mind. We're still sharing spooky photos from our nighttime walks, and this month we've been deciding what to do with the human soul that we bought for $115 from our local Facebook community yard sale page. If you have any ideas, sign up, join the Discord, and let us know. You'll also have access to our bloopers. And between you and me, they're pretty hilarious. Behind-the-scenes audio and our weekly updates on the show. We've got stickers, t-shirts, and masks. Like COVID masks, not Halloween masks. Also, starting this month, one lucky listener who signs up within the first 24 hours will get a physical copy of the script that we used for that episode. These scripts get marked up during recording and editing. And it's a really cool way to get a glimpse into the process. Sign up to support the show at patreon.com forward slash 13 pod. We wanted to let you guys know about a show that's close to us geographically and close to our hearts, literally. Old Gods of Appalachia. Explore an alternate Appalachia where there's something ancient that lives under the oldest mountains in the world. If you like the slow burn tension of 13 episodes, you'll love Old Gods of Appalachia. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, on with the show. I grew up in a little town about an hour from the nearest big city. I liked it in my little town. I never felt bored, not really. I wished we had things that bigger towns had, sure. Things like a movie theater or a bowling alley. That would have been fun. But I had great friends and we were pretty good at keeping ourselves entertained. Our town was built around a Bible college and a seminary. Literally. The whole town was just a few streets of housing for professors and college employees. When I graduated high school, me and most of my friends just started up at Bible college. After all, it's where our parents worked. In a lot of ways, it was like high school never ended. There were other kids that moved to town for college, but those of us that grew up there, well, we just kept on like nothing had changed. The one big difference is that all the students lived on campus, so we were mostly unsupervised and we got into mischief. 
at least by Christian college standards. But we all signed a contract when we started school. No drinking, drugs, smoking, no sex outside of marriage, all the basics. And most everyone followed it. Like I said, the entire town was built around the college. A train line ran through the town, alongside some old warehouses. The only evidence that an economy apart from the school had ever existed there. And even that had been bought by the school and repurposed as an event space and a little gymnasium and basketball court that the whole town could use. People jokingly called it the Holy City. And that was my life until I was 22 years old. All of my friends and I graduated, and most of them went off to work in the towns around ours. A few of them moved to the city. My parents wanted me to stick around and go to seminary, right here on the same campus, right here in my hometown. I assumed it would just be more of the same, and that would be fine with me. But the transition wasn't easy. If Bible college is undergrad, then seminary is grad school. I found out real quick that my classmates were a different kind of student than I was used to. These seminary students had all come here with a mission. College had been mostly locals or people from the surrounding towns. But the seminary drew in students from all over the country, from all over the world. In a way, starting seminary, for me, felt like most people starting undergrad. I had been kind of floating through life until then. I never had to try to get to know people. They were just always there, as far back as I could remember. But they'd moved on now, and... I felt like a stranger in my own town. The people I was in class with now, they were driven and had a purpose, and I didn't. I'd allowed myself to stagnate, to become comfortable and unchallenged. I was in the prime of my life, and I wasn't growing. I found myself jealous of my classmates. They had done so much lived so much more than me. This is the kind of town where you know all your neighbors. Where you could live out your life going to work for the same school you'd attended. Doing your part to develop the next generation of students that came after you. Building the future of the church. That's what my parents did. And I could see it on the faces of my classmates. They thought that's what I was destined for too. They could see how sheltered and naive I was. They could see that I was on track to follow in my parents' footsteps. And I think they pitied me. I was insecure. I felt like I'd just walked into this because my parents worked there. And they'd... they'd all earned it. I felt like an imposter. So, I made a decision. I was going to earn it. I decided what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with people who needed help, 
The church has been the last hope of so many people over the centuries. And I wanted to join in that tradition. I also dove into church history. And I studied how different periods of Christianity answered the call to care for people. And also how they failed. All of a sudden, I had more in common with the other women around me. That wasn't the point, but it was a happy side effect. As I got to know these women, I realized that not everyone adheres to the strict contract you sign when you join the seminary. I always knew that not all students followed the contract, but now... I was being invited to nights out with the girls in other towns, where we could order drinks at a restaurant. It sounds so silly now, but it was scandalous then. They talked about their boyfriends. They talked about staying the night. I felt so out of my element, but also I couldn't look away. And I started to get jealous again. Boys had always been interested in me, but I grew up sheltered, and I didn't really know how to act or what to do when someone liked me. My new friends, of course, spotted that immediately and basically taught me everything I needed to know. They delighted in becoming my teachers, and I didn't mind being their project. Sure, it was a little patronizing, but... I could tell that there was real love and affection for me. And it was earned. I'd earned it. It was so different than just knowing someone your whole life. So, with their help, I got on a few apps and I started talking to people. And, at age 25, during my third year of seminary, I went on my first date. And the best part was coming back afterward and telling my friends all about it. I felt like I really belonged. Like I'd been missing this my whole life. And I didn't even know it. It was my next to last semester, and I had to do a summer internship. The internship I landed was perfect. It was with a church in the city, It would be the first time I lived in a place with more than a few thousand people. I would be working in the community services program for the church. That's the anti-poverty and community empowerment programs. Free meals, a clothing bank, helping people find housing, a free clinic. It's the kind of work I wanted to do, and it's what I thought the church should be doing more of. The added benefit was that it was a historic church that dated back to before the city was incorporated. My passions for church history and helping people had collided perfectly. The cherry on top was that the church provided housing in a little on-site parsonage. That's the little house where pastors and caretakers used to live. Now they use it for people like me. I was sad to spend the summer away from my new group of friends. But we'd all be back at seminary in the fall. I didn't know how big the parsonage would be 
or what I should pack. So I brought everything I could fit into my car. Saturday would be my busiest day. It was the only day of the week that all of the community services were offered at the same time. So I arrived on a Friday to get moved in, learn a little bit more about the job, and settle in before my first day. It was right in the middle of the city, less than a mile north of downtown and the riverfront. It was in this old neighborhood full of houses crammed right up next to each other and coming right up to the edge of the sidewalk. The church itself towered above the neighborhood. It was a tall brick and stone building. Stained glass windows, tall and narrow, lined the sanctuary, and it had a steeple that rose high above the nearby rooftops. There was a little alley with parking spots along one side of the building. I had a number to call when I arrived, and a woman named Heather met me out front. She would be my boss for the next ten weeks. We went up to her office, and I did some paperwork to make the internship official. Do you want the grand tour? She asked. Of course I did. We started at the office entrance. Heather gave me a key and an alarm code. She showed me the main floor, which actually wasn't where most of the offices were. She said they call it the office entrance because the only other entrance is straight into the sanctuary. There was a big open room for events and a wing of classrooms for Sunday school and group meetings. She spoke up again. This whole area is all brand new. We renovated it a couple of years ago. This whole side of the building was falling apart. That's the way to the sanctuary. Let's save that for the end. Do you mind the stairs? We went up to the second floor where the church hosted a private religious school. It was summer, so there were no kids, which I was thankful for. Who wants to live in the same building as an elementary school? The third floor was the church offices. There was also a big conference room with windows that looked out over the neighborhood. We were higher up than the surrounding houses, and you could see all the way downtown to the high-rise towers by the river. I can't believe that this is where I live. There were also a couple of private rooms for counseling and a library. Paintings and photographs hung on the walls in the offices and the hallways. Some of them were recent. Some of them were photos from events held a long time ago. There were painted portraits of church leaders that lived and died before photography. Do you know much about the church yet? Heather asked. No, I don't, I confessed. She gestured to the library. Well, anything you want to know, it's in here. The church has kept excellent records. It's fascinating, really. It goes all the way back to the original founders in the 1700s. We were here before the Declaration of Independence. In fact, this church or rather, the building they used at the time, was the first thing built in this city. The founders built a meeting house. It was a kind of all-in-one community building that was common at the time. It was City Hall, the courthouse, the school, and the church, all combined. 
If you want to know what the church leaders thought of the Civil War or World War II, it's all written in there. You can read the names and the writing of the nurses who worked the hospitals during the 1918 flu. That's all in there, too. My mind was racing. I planned to read it all. And the meeting house was here, I asked. Heather nodded. Do you want to go see it? Heather took me down a back stairwell and then out an emergency exit. We came right out onto the sidewalk. We walked around the building, and I saw it before she even had to tell me. A bit of the building protruded out further than the rest, like an awkward addition added on later. They'd walled it in. So it's inside there, I asked. Yeah, Heather nodded. There's a door in the hallway by the sanctuary, but it's all sealed off. For all we know, the place has fallen down behind that wall, but who knows? Maybe it's still standing. How long since anyone's been in there? I asked. She shrugged. No idea. The city technically owns it as a historical site. They want to renovate it, but no one wants to fund it. So they sealed it off so kids or whoever didn't go in there and destroy it in the meantime. The founders, back in the 1700s, they were trying to go on to what's modern-day Missouri. But they got lost and just decided to set up here instead. A happy little accident. A happy accident. So, want to see the sanctuary? She led me around to the other side of the building, and we went into the big sanctuary doors that opened right out onto the sidewalk. When my eyes adjusted and I could see the room inside, my breath caught in my throat. Wow. The ceilings were high, and those tall, narrow, stained glass windows were bright. They reflected all kinds of colors around the room. Row after row of pews and beautifully carved woodwork. It wasn't a cathedral, but was ornate and intricate and beautiful. What do you think? Heather asked. I told her I loved it. She took me through a little door behind the pulpit and then down the hallway that runs alongside it. There were more photos and painted portraits on the walls here. Who's this? I asked. There was a nameplate next to the painted portrait. Uh, looks like her name was Elena Bishop. Doesn't say who she was. But, speaking of the old mission house, this is the door into the Waldorf section. You can't open it. It's locked up and, like, nailed shut or something. Want to see where you'll be staying? She walked me to the end of the hall and then out into a gorgeous garden. This is our prayer garden, Heather said. It was tucked into an alcove between the sanctuary and the office side of the building. There were vines climbing the brick walls of the church and a path that spiraled into a collection of benches in the middle. It was surrounded by flowers and all kinds of green. An oasis in the concrete and brick city 
This is your place right over here, Heather said, leading me to a little brick building jutting out from the side of the sanctuary. It was nice, nicer than I had expected. It had its own separate entrance from the church, so I could come and go whenever I wanted. I think I was expecting something like a dorm room. It was actually more of a guest house. There was a little bedroom with a twin bed and a sitting room with a couch and a table. A skylight looked up directly at the tall, squared-off turret of a steeple. A bathroom with a nice shower. Lots of natural light. It was small, but it was cozy. She handed me the keys to my new home and the ones I'd need to get around inside the church. She told me to feel free to explore, and then she left. I'd be seeing her bright and early the next morning to get ready for my first day on the job. I got unpacked. Everything that wouldn't fit in the parsonage would need to stay in my car. I took some photos of the garden out front and sent them to all my friends. They were all going to be so jealous. As it got dark, accent lights came on around the garden, lighting up the ivy on the walls and the trees by the road. I opened my laptop only to realize that I'd forgotten to get Wi-Fi info from Heather. Oh well, I'd figure it all out tomorrow. I laid down on the couch and looked up through the skylight. The steeple was lit up now against the dark sky. Lights from underneath lit it up like a beacon in the night. I was suddenly aware of the quiet around me. I could make out the ticking of the ceiling fan in the other room. That bright steeple against the night sky. The next morning, I was up at dawn and ready to go. I was waiting for Heather when she arrived at 8. The part of the building we would be working in wasn't as grand as the rest of the church. It was an entrance to a building that looked more like a warehouse just across the alley that ran alongside the church. Inside, it was all cinder block walls and exposed plumbing. Heather showed me the whole place. There was a room that was all racks of donated clothing. There was a kitchen and a dining room where meals were served and a pantry where food baskets were prepared so that people could take some food home with them. The volunteers started trickling in around 9 a.m. to get food prep ready. Before long, a line was starting to form outside. Since it was my first week, I was just trying to help out wherever I could. Heather introduced me to every person who came through the food line. She knew all their names. About 150 people came in over the course of the next hour. Mostly single adults, but some families and some kids. My job would be to connect the people who came in with other agencies and partners to help with housing, employment, medical, and any other needs they had. We were finished by 2 p.m. She asked how I was feeling after my first day, and I told her I felt great. Throughout the week, I'd be working with an after-school reading program and driving people to and from doctor's appointments. We hosted off-site meals during the week, too. I would need to organize volunteers for those. It would be a lot. But this is what I signed up for. 
This is what I want to see more of from the church. I was happy to be a part of it. I had a couple of friends who lived in the city and were home for the summer. We made plans to meet at a bar downtown. I could see the skyscrapers from the street by my little house, and I decided to walk. How far could it be? Turns out, I didn't have a great sense for how far it was, and it ended up taking me almost an hour to walk it. I was late, but I eventually made it, and we had a lot of fun. Rather than walking another hour home, a little tipsy and alone in a strange city, I got a ride back to the church. There's a gate that opens directly into the prayer garden. I sighed a delighted sigh. This is my front yard. I unlocked the gate and went inside my little parsonage house. I plopped down on the couch and kicked off my shoes. My feet were aching. I leaned back and looked up at the ceiling. And just then, I thought I could hear something. Something from the other side of the wall. Something low and groaning. Something melodic? An organ. The church organ. I did some quick mental calculating. Yeah. My sitting room shares a wall with the big sanctuary. I probably wouldn't have done what I did next if it weren't for the alcohol in my system. But I decided to go exploring. I put my shoes back on and crept out the front door and into the prayer garden. Moving slow and letting my eyes adjust, I made my way toward the office entrance to the building. There was a full moon overhead, making the sky bright, but the shadows of the building obscured the ground. I unlocked the door, and the alarm began to chirp. Whoever was inside had armed the alarm, I guess in case someone came after them. Someone like me, I suppose. I disarmed it, and the beeping stopped. The organ was louder here. A thought occurred to me. What if there was no one here at all? What if the organ is set to automatically play from time to time? Like a player piano. Maybe this is one of those churches that believes in playing worship music all the time to bless the building and keep away evil spirits. They didn't strike me as that kind of church, but who knows? I was suddenly very aware that I could be alone in this building. This eerie, empty, dark church. I very suddenly didn't want to be alone with whatever awful things my imagination could conjure up that could just be waiting for me in the shadows. There was a pause in the music just then, and I heard what sounded like movement. 
the creaking and popping of wood floors in the sanctuary across the building. Someone was here. A trembling under my feet accompanied the low tones from across the building. Aside from the entry lights, it was dark, except the red and orange glow of the exit signs. I saw what looked like distant, diffused yellow light up ahead. I poked my head around the corner and saw that it was coming from the open sanctuary doors. The sound of the organ grew louder, too. I tiptoed toward the open doors. The alcohol in my system made my peripheral vision feel bigger than it really was. I got to the sanctuary, and I saw a man at the organ. His back to me. The room was mostly dark. Only a couple of lights were lit up on stage. You couldn't see past the first few rows of pews. The man was playing in slow, drawling rhythms. The alcohol may have been subsiding as I became aware that I had walked in on a stranger who thought he was alone. I had no good excuse to be here. I was suddenly self-conscious and hoping to leave before he had the chance to notice me. I took a couple of steps backward hoping I could be quiet enough that he'd never hear me. But of course, as luck would have it, he stopped playing just then, and the wood floor creaked loud. He jumped up from the piano bench and spun around to face me, looking startled. Hello, I said meekly, raising my hand for some reason. My self-consciousness became full-on embarrassment. Oh, hi. Can I help you? No, 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 no. I'm so sorry. I just moved into the parsonage, and I heard you playing, and I wanted to come see what it was. He made a look of recognition. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Am I keeping you up? It's late. I didn't know that someone new had moved in over there. No, you're totally fine. You're very beautiful. Oh, my God. I mean, your playing is very beautiful. I'm sorry. Can we start over? I've had a little bit to drink. I'm Hannah. Hi, Hannah. I'm Lenny, he waved. I do the music here sometimes when the normal guy can't make it, he said. I can wrap this up if I'm keeping you awake. Oh, no, no, no. I like it. I really do. It sounds great. I wouldn't normally do this, wandering in here, but... But you've had a little to drink, he said with a goofy smile. Yeah, I chuckled. Don't worry about it. After a painfully drawn-out pause, I told him not to stop on my account and excused myself back to the parsonage. Sort of mortified. Sort of exhilarated. Did I just make my first new friend? I didn't hear him start playing again. I didn't want him to stop, 
I meant it when I said that I liked it. It was nice and soothing. Maybe even more so because it was muffled on the other side of the wall. I changed into my pajamas, washed my face, and laid down. I was too tired to lay awake and let the embarrassment settle in. That would have to wait for another day. I fell asleep right away, fast and hard. It was the kind of dream where you know you're asleep. I was suddenly inside the church. The lights were out. It was dark. It was eerie and quiet. The kind of quiet that's unnerving. The kind of quiet that you're afraid to disturb. I was wandering the building. The corridors were a little too narrow. A little too windy. It was too dark to really see what I was doing. In my dream, I was disoriented, and I couldn't find my way out. I came to a turn, and after I took it, there was a light at the end of the hall. A window with sheer curtains, letting a bit of the light through. I stood there for a long time, adjusting to my surroundings. I could just barely make out the hallway. Along the walls, there were decorative tables with Bibles open to marked verses, the Book of Common Prayer. There were unlit candles and antique lamps. On the wall, there were paintings, the apostles, Jesus feeding the masses, turning water into wine. Helping the adulteress, condemned to death, back to her feet after her accusers dropped their stones. There was something else. A statue. No. A person. Their back to the wall. About midway down the corridor. She was still. Unmoving. She wore an ancient dress, like the kind you would see in centuries past. I stood there for a long time, waiting for her to move, to do something. I looked back the way I came, and there was only nothingness. I turned my gaze back toward the hallway. I expected to see that she'd moved. Her head turned toward me, angry or grinning something sinister, a smile too wide, eyes eager for something awful I didn't want to imagine. But neither of those things happened. She stayed just where she was, looking ahead at the wall opposite her. Against every instinct, I started moving forward. I just needed to get past her. I kept my eyes on her, and I crept as softly and as quietly as I could. 
When I got closer, she came more clearly into view. She was about my age, but there was a heaviness to her years. As I approached her, I noticed something else. She was watching me. Her eyes tracking me, even as she kept her head completely still. The anxiety and fear I felt made my eyes water. I was on the verge of tears when I passed in front of her. I felt her eyes moving with me. I didn't speed up. I didn't dare make any sudden moves. I just kept going as slowly and as steadily as I could. Once I was past her, I felt streams of tears falling down my cheeks. Up ahead of me, the window was uncovered now, the curtains gone, and as I approached, I could see my reflection, and I could see something else, the woman in the hall. She was following me. I shot straight up in bed, frantically pulling the sheets away. I craned my body all around, looking for the woman in my dream. I was dizzy and lightheaded. I had been holding my breath in my sleep. Tears were streaming down my face in real life, too. The first light blues of dawn were coming in through my window. I fell back into my bed and caught my breath. I laid there for a long while, hoping to get tired and catch a couple more hours of sleep before it was time to get ready for Sunday services. But I was wide awake. I needed to get out of this room. My phone said that it was 6.45 in the morning. No one should be at the church yet. It was a nice morning, only the slightest chill in the air. I went out into the prayer garden in my pajamas. The sky was getting lighter, but the sun was still below the horizon. Even though dawn was comforting, I found myself avoiding looking up toward the church or the windows. There was an irrational fear a holdover from the nightmare. I was afraid of looking up and seeing a face in one of those windows. There was a cement bench that looked out toward the road, so I sat there for a while. Fleece pajama pants and an old t-shirt. The city was still and quiet. Even a place this big and this busy still came to a stop from time to time. After a little while, the memory of my nightmare began to fade and lose meaning. I went back in and started getting ready for the Sunday service. Sunday services were incredible. The ambiance of that big, ornate sanctuary 
the way the acoustics resonated during the hymns and the call and response. Lenny wasn't at the organ, but I spotted him in the crowd. He saw me too and smiled. Heather, my boss, found me after the service and introduced me to more people than I could reasonably be expected to remember. Most of the congregation was older, but there were some younger families there together or with kids. I didn't see any groups of young people. No friends sitting together. That was discouraging. I'd hoped there would be more people my age. Friends to meet and spend the summer with. But it's a big place, and it's possible I just miss them. An older lady saw me sitting alone and came over to say hi. I mentioned that I didn't see a lot of people my age. She said there weren't a lot of people her age either, which was weird because it looked like there were a lot of people her age. Who knows? There was Lenny, and he seemed nice. He came and found me after the service. I told him I didn't mean to scare him off last night or for him to stop playing. He waved his hand, dismissing my apology. I'll just be sure to keep it to a decent hour, he said. It was my turn to wave him away. I'm a night owl. You won't bother me, I promise. Don't let me stop you. He rocked ever so slightly on his heels, like he was considering something. Well, if you hear me, feel free to come say hi. Is he flirting with me? Or was he just being nice to the new girl who doesn't know anyone at church yet? My intuition tells me it's probably a little bit of both. I might just do that. Wait, am I flirting back? I think I am. Okay. Monday morning came, and I was back at it with my internship. The rest of the week I stayed busy, and I found myself getting the hang of the job. I found that I only get lonely when I have too much time to sit with my thoughts. The nights alone in the parsonage were nice and relaxing after an emotionally taxing day. But there were also times when my mind would wander. I'd taken some walks exploring the neighborhood. I found some cute little restaurants and a park with a running trail. But after work on Saturday, I went home to the parsonage, and there I was, alone again with my thoughts, feeling that loneliness creep in. It was raining, and there wouldn't be any exploring the neighborhood today. I heard the low rumble of the organ that night, just like Lenny promised. He was earlier than the week before. The sun had only just gone down. I remembered what he said last Sunday about coming to say hi if I heard him playing. I can't just walk right in there, can I? I fixed my hair and changed into something more presentable. Was I trying too hard? I got up my nerve and ran through the rain to the office entrance. I opened the door and turned off the alarm. Immediately, I heard the organ meandering down the corridor from the sanctuary. 
vibrating the tile under my feet. I realized it was the first time I'd been alone in the church since my nightmare. The one about the woman in the hallway, up against the wall, lurking in the shadows, following me with her eyes. I hadn't thought about it since that morning when I woke up, but that anxiety came back as I made my way around the dark hallways and toward the stage entrance to the sanctuary. As I got closer, I noticed that big painted portrait on the wall, and I stopped in my tracks. Elena Bishop. The painting I'd stopped to look at with Heather on my first day. I looked down the hall and there was a window. It was different from the window in my dream, but not by much. I must have subconsciously remembered this hallway. The woman standing against the wall. She was right here. It was right here. I wondered what she'd done to have her picture on the wall all these years later. How long ago did she live? The organ stopped for a moment and started again, bringing me back to the present. I walked over to the door leading into the sanctuary and waited until there was a break in the music to make myself known. He looked like he was glad to see me. I asked if I was bothering him, and he said I wasn't. I'm bored, I said. I'm sorry to hear that, he told me, at a loss for what to say next. Of course he was. How are you supposed to follow that? How are you settling in, he asked. I meant to give a quick, simple answer. Settling in just fine. But I think so many days of nothing but small talk had kept me pent up and almost against my own will. I told him about acclimating to the job. I told him about how lonely I had been. And finally, far too late, I just stopped talking. I'm sorry, you didn't want to hear all of that. He waved off my apology. This wasn't going how I thought it would. So, are you from here? I asked him. Oh, yeah. I've been here my whole life, he said. Uh, My family was one of the ones that founded the church, actually. That piqued my interest. It's not that exciting, he said, reading my mind. I thought it was pretty exciting. You know, church history was my minor, I told him. He gave me a look. Well, let me guess. They told you the church is the oldest thing in the city, and the whole city was built around it. Is that not true? I asked. He shrugged. I don't know. It might be. No one actually knows. It's definitely one of the oldest buildings, and no one else claims that they're the first. Lenny doesn't realize that he's just walked face first into my greatest obsession. Do you know how long the average church survives? I asked. He didn't. Come to think of it, neither did I. Well, it's nowhere near 
250 years. Think of the people who came in the doors of that little meeting house in the 1700s. Some of them your ancestors. And they did the same things we do today. They sang the same songs, prayed for the same things, read the same scriptures, and we are bound to them by this same place, these same bricks, this same dirt. We are a part of their story, and they're a part of ours. What were their lives like? Could they have imagined that all this time later, their church would look like this? That it would still be standing? That the city would look like this? He raised his hands, surrendering his defeat. Okay, okay, you're right. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make light of it. The people here can just be a little heavy-handed about it all. That's all I'm saying. You're forgiven. Lenny got a wild look in his eyes. So, he said, do you want to see it? I'm sorry, what? The meeting house. Oh, thank God. Isn't it like nailed shut or something? Nope. Want to check it out? I thought about everything that could go wrong. I'm brand new here. I could lose my internship. That would put me behind on my graduation schedule. I had a lot to lose. We climbed the winding cinder block stairwell to the church offices on the third floor. He pulled the first book off of the shelf labeled records. And sure enough, in a pocket inside the cover, there was a key. Back downstairs, we put the key in the lock, and he gave me a look. Are you ready? he asked. I nodded. He turned the key, and there was a heavy clunk. He pushed on the door, and nothing happened at first. Then another push, and the door budged. And again. The first thing I noticed was the smell. Like the smell of must and decay. But also like someone had just mowed the yard. And then I saw it. Grass. The door was stuck because Lenny had to push dirt out of the way. They'd left the ground as it was, so as not to disturb the foundation. It was covered in dirt and dead, decomposing grass. Barely out of arm's reach, right in front of me, was an old wood and stone structure. They'd left just enough clearance to open the door and not hit it. We turned on the flashlights on our phones and stepped onto the hard, dry ground. Two steps, and we were inside the old meeting house. My heart was beating like crazy. I felt lightheaded, both from exhilaration and fear. What if we did something wrong? What if we broke something? What if we got caught? Inside, it wasn't what I'd imagined. It was just one room, 
a little bit longer than it was wide. Two windows on the wall opposite the door. Looking through them was only the brick wall that separated us from the sidewalk outside. We definitely weren't supposed to be here. We should go, I told Lenny. He was quiet, panning his light around, looking up at the ceiling. I'm sorry, we shouldn't be here, I said as I quickly darted out of the meeting house and back into the safety of the church. Hey, are you okay? He shouted from inside the meeting house. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just... I don't want to get into trouble. I don't want to lose my internship. Hang on. There's one more thing I want you to see, he called out. I'm sorry. I I just can't. I can't lose my internship. Yeah, I get that. He sounded a little disappointed. The light from his phone turned to face me. I saw his head duck down to clear the door of the meeting house. No worries, he said, as he stepped back into the church and turned off his light. We went back up to the library and put the key back where we found it, and then walked back to the sanctuary where Lenny had left his things by the organ. I'm sorry, I don't know what happened. I just had a bad feeling all of a sudden. I'm not usually like that. Don't worry about it. I like you, he said, giving me a coy look. Well, this was moving faster than I thought it would. I like you too, I said back, sounding way cooler than I would have expected. So... Do you have a boyfriend back home? He asked. Like a nerd. Oh, real smooth, Lenny. I teased him. Ouch, he said, holding his hand to his chest in pretend pain. No, no boyfriend back home. Well, do you want to hang out sometime? You know, aside from bumping into each other around the building. Yeah, I'd like that. We were sitting on the edge of the stage, the room spread out in front of us feeling bigger than it ever had. It was dark in the back and up in the balcony. The lights only reached so far. I felt Lenny's hand graze against mine. A feeling like electric goosebumps rushed all over my body. I leaned my head on his shoulder and he put his head on mine. We can't make out in the fucking sanctuary. Can we? He leaned in and kissed me. Yes. Yes, we can. I walked out with him, and we traded phone numbers. If I'm being honest, I still wasn't sure how much I liked Lenny or if it was just that I didn't know anyone else and I was lonely. I waited for him to leave. There was something that I was about to do, something against my better judgment. I went back upstairs to the library. I got the key from the first volume of church records. And then 
hands trembling, I unlocked the door downstairs and stepped into the meeting house. You see, I caught a glimpse of something when I was in there. Something on the floor next to the window on the other side of the room. A little book, bound in leather. I grabbed it carefully and got out of the meeting house as fast as I could, closing the door and locking it behind me. My mind was screaming at me to hurry, like something was going to follow me back out. Like when you're a kid and you run up the basement stairs after turning out the light. The book I picked up, it was a journal. Somehow, I knew it would be. It dated back to 1769. I was holding something that was 240 years old. And there was writing in it. Someone's notes. Why had this just been left behind in that meeting house? Wouldn't the historical society want to keep it somewhere safe? Was it left there by mistake? I took the key back upstairs and put it back in the first volume of the church records. And then I noticed it. The volume was titled 1772 to 1789. I checked the journal again. 1769. Whatever I'd found, was older than the church record. I locked up the building and set the alarm before stepping out into the prayer garden to go home to the parsonage. The rain had stopped and a hazy mist was settling in over the street. I noticed something up on the third floor. There was a light on. Did I leave the light on? And then it went off. Maybe there had been another church employee up there after all. Someone coming in to get something and we just missed each other? Maybe it was the cleaners. Maybe. The night felt different now. Different from the way me and Lenny had left it earlier. Oh well. I went back to the parsonage and locked up behind me. Thank you for listening to this episode of 13. This has been part one of The Meeting House. Part two is already in your feed. We'll see you there.